We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Lefty home. Fly ball well hit. Gone! What'd you say about power? That's his side. For me, that's not a real good... Pitching change for David Ross. Because you turn a guy who's hit 18 home runs, many more home runs right handed than left. You turn him around to hit right handed, and he adds a couple more. It's a four to one game. And now the stretch. There go the runners. The pitch, a swing and a drive. Deep right field. It's got a chance. Gone. Listen to this crowd. Andrew Romine with a game-tying home run to right. This ball game is back to even, tied 4-4. Driven to left, it's deep, it is gone! Brian Goodwin with a two-run homer. 2-2, ground ball base hit. Here comes Vaughn, it's a three-run lead. Swung on, hit high in the air, deep left field, back toward the wall. This ball's got a chance, gone. It's not over yet. A two-run homer by Frank Schwindel, and it's an eight-to-six ball game. Still nobody out. Don't go away. And he drives one out in the left center, angle on the move. He's got it, and the White Sox win this wild one in ten innings. 8-6 the final. Anthony Heron on 670 the score. Shot. Shot. Better part of the next two hours, I am your voice. This is Anthony Heron on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Coming to you live from my own personal studio here, but on 670 The Score, Chicago. Next two hours, we've got a, a loaded show, a jam-packed show with a lot to get into. And, of course, the weekend is upon you as well, so I appreciate you. Whatever amount of time you're willing to spend listening to me talking some Chicago sports, we would definitely enjoy that, and that is always appreciated. What a game that was. And then the, the opener, the kickoff, the opening pitch for the Crosstown series between the Sox and the Cubs. Um, I didn't necessarily know what vibe to anticipate for, to be real with you, because I obviously the two franchises, the two organizations, where they're at right now, a lot of folks are still trying to – trying to really get their minds wrapped around where exactly, not just where the Cubs are at the moment, but where they will be in the in the weeks to come, in the months to come, certainly in the seasons to come, whether or not it is a legit rebuild or not. And so as much juice as it felt like this uh, this Wintrust Crosstown series was going to have, it certainly dissipated just a bit because of, of where each of the franchises end up taking things here headed towards the trade deadline. And not because it was completely unexpected. Not that any of us were completely caught off guard by where things went. But that's where they are right now. And in theory, the Sox are ascending. What Sox fans are hoping right now is that they haven't ascended. That they haven't plateaued. They really haven't been playing very well since the All-Star break for the most part. But 
good for them from that south side perspective to get the dub that was necessary to Dan. I think there were a few few moments in that game where you could see Tony LaRussa managing the game in a manner that that showed the importance he was placing on it. So we'll get into all that throughout the show today. Um, I, I just had an ice cream cone, so that was a nice little little kick, little jolt to my system that I needed, you know, after getting up early, doing some Big Ten radio for Sirius XM this morning and getting out with the toddler for a while, running around in the rain this afternoon. I really wasn't completely sure what the afternoon was going to bring related to the game because in the South Loop, we had a decent amount of rain, but it was kind of short-lived and pushed through, and it seems like that was basically the same thing that happened in Wrigleyville. And just sat down and took in the game and took some notes and enjoyed watching that one. And because the, the Sox offense has been what it's been, I, I, I think because today was against Kyle Hendricks, then where the offense was throughout sort of the meat of the game feels more more acceptable. You obviously had the dramatic moments that we will get into uh, towards the end of the game and in the extra innings that make the overall – uh, the overall run production look better than it legitimately was, but you, you got a very Kyle Hendricksian, you know, sort of outing from him. Where yeah, they it looked like they had some opportunities to maybe touch him up a little bit. They had some hits going at times, but just couldn't consistently put themselves in position to get runs on the board while Hendricks was still out there. And that's that's just what the professor is going to do to you in, in a lot of different ways. So a lot of that to discuss throughout the show, throughout these couple hours I have with you but also just the midway point of the summer is always this point in the calendar where we're into the early stages of August you got training camps open all around the National Football League's training camps beginning to open up around college football as well so for me or for a lot of you out there you still got a few weeks before school starts up for yourself maybe you got a few weeks before classes start up for your kids maybe you got a few weeks left just before you know things really kind of heat back up for you from a, from a work standpoint, how busy you may or may not be. It's by the calendar, the midpoint of the summer, but with football season really kind of here and ready, for me, for a lot of folks in my industry, this is where we're kind of at the, the end of the, the sort of off-season calendar, as it were, because for a lot of us, this is when things get at their busiest, where you're coming into the baseball postseason, uh, you know, coming around the corner, you got football about to kick off, hoops is going to be starting up, and uh, hoops and hockey will be starting up in the not-too-distant future as well. Weather's going to start turning. So, you know, for me, we had our, our one little family trip. Uh, what was it? I guess last week, for about a week and a half, we had it out of town for a little bit, had a good old time with the in-laws out east and went here and there, round and round a little bit. Now we're back in town, and the football season is going to get a lot of my focus here in the months to come. But I'm good with it because this is just where the calendar goes year in and year out. But for a lot of you who maybe have a, a couple of weeks left in your summer, something you're going to do, something you haven't gotten in yet that you that you want to make sure is going to happen, is it going to happen this weekend? I mean, it is Friday night, so whether you're out here partying in Shy City, whether you're out here getting ready to hit the road, go somewhere else, I don't know. Hit me up. Let me know what your summer entails. We only got a couple hours here, but like I referenced, there's plenty to talk with the sports teams that are actually here in town as well. That opener from the Crosstown series, we saw that today. Going to get into that. Also, uh, if anybody within the sound of my voice can pass protect, or anybody who's listening to me has spent much time run blocking, uh, I think the folks up at House Hall could maybe use, whether it's a phone call, um, you know, some sort of smoke signals, something that, that would give them uh, a signal give them the message that, that you are available to them to participate at the offensive tackle position, frankly, the O-line in general. Uh, I'm not nearly as worried about the interior because there's, there's at least, uh, I'll, I'll call it some proven depth that's there between the center and the guard positions. You got a few different guys who, who can maneuver between center, left guard, right guard. And so even though it's getting a bit banged up in there, I think you're, you're still in pretty good shape there. Same spot. I've been worrying about with this squad for a couple of seasons now that I've talked about throughout this offseason and even going through the draft process was still expressing my concern about offensive tackle. So maybe there's a couple of you out there that were like a, you know, an all-conference suburban Chicago left guard, but you're like 5'9". All right, 
need not apply from that standpoint. But who knows? Beggars can't be choosers. And, man, the Bears are banged up up front on that old line. So we'll spend some time later in the show getting into those elements as well. But a lot of baseball to get into early in this show. We're going to try to make some time to talk some more Bulls, too. I got into a little bit of Bulls the other night just with sort of my, uh, I suppose, my global take on where things are with the Bulls franchise. But um, a few very, I, I suppose, Lowry marketing specific things I would like to get into later in this show as well now that he's come out and said he wants to skip town. Uh, I, I guess my essential question is, who does Lowry marketing think he is? But we'll save some of that for later as well. So we'll have some phone lines that will be open for us throughout the show this evening, open for you throughout the show this evening. So feel free to hit me up at 312-644-6767. Later on this hour, we're going to have some great guests starting up for you, too. We're going to go back-to-back with the guest lineup. We had to shift some things around, so we appreciate folks being flexible with us to get that in. But Jared Willis of the Sun-Times is going to be with us later this hour to talk some baseball. Then Kevin Fishbane is going to lead off the 8 o'clock hour to talk some Bears. I'm actually going to head out to Hallis Hall in the morning and uh, and check out the Bears in person. This will be my first time this offseason going to see them in person. So I'm looking forward to that tomorrow morning just to to get my eyes on uh, on Mr. Dalton and Mr. Fields and Mr. Montgomery, see what this D-line is looking like, whatever the uh, – hearing a lot about, you know, some of the – let's call it fun, some of the energy that Sean Desai is kind of adding to the mix – Looking forward to kind of laying my eyes on some of that in person as well. So a lot that I'm going to be able to to check out when I get over to Hallis in the morning, and especially because they're going to be fully padded up. So I think that them having several padded days in a row, it doesn't necessarily come at an opportune time for Matt Nagy and for his squad because of how banged up the O-line has gotten, but it's the situation they're in, and kind of like Coach Nagy's been talking about, it's an opportunity for a lot of guys to try and take advantage of that, whichever one of them ends up remaining, I guess, once things come down the stretch here. But from a baseball perspective, we'll spend some time here talking all the things that we saw on the diamond today because that was, that was, <laughs> I suppose, better. I'll use the term better. It was a much better game than I even anticipated it would be, not just from like a scoring or a a competitive standpoint. I didn't necessarily think – because you had Hendricks versus Lynn, I didn't necessarily just assume that the the Sox were just going to blow him off the diamond or something like that. But there were moments, and there's some some guys on the field for the Cubs who who I can relate to because you know this was sort of the story of a lot of my NFL career, bouncing from a few different teams. You know, a little practice squad, some time on the field for the teams as well. And and just seeing that, like not everybody, and they were even talking about it on the air on a couple of the different channels, both on Marquee and on NBC Sports Chicago you know, from a TV perspective, but that not all these guys are, you know, in their early 20s and haven't been at the big league level before. Some of these guys are kind of journeymen and in their mid to late 20s and, and getting opportunities, and it was – fun to see some of these players kind of maximizing those opportunities as well. But the phone lines are already lighting up for us at 312-644-6767. So let me get some of these calls in before I start getting into uh, to some of my takes on these things here. We've got Mike out in Northbrook on the line right now. Mike, what's up, man? You got Anthony Hare. Hey, yeah. Hey, how you doing? A couple of things about about the Sox. Yeah, you, you know, I, I'm well aware of like what you said, how they've been 9-11 and 11 since the All-Star break. And, you know, you have your little, you know, periods during the season. For example, if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, I think coming out of the gate this year, they were actually 9-11 and 11 starting the season. Then they started playing really good ball. So now they're going to start playing good again. But here's the thing. They have a tough August. They got the Yankees. Well, I'm not talking about the Cubs necessarily being tough. All mm-hmm. of those games, you never know what's going to happen when the Sox play the Cubs. But they got Boston. They got Tampa Bay. They've got uh, uh, the other Toronto. You want to play 500 against those teams. And then in September, the last three weeks, you want to, that's when you want to play your best ball. Because I remember 2005, what, they were way ahead and Cleveland closed it to two games and then the Sox played real well. 
and they did something I don't know if any team's ever done in the history of baseball, including the playoffs in their last five games. They won 16 of their last 17 games that they played, which is like almost mind-boggling when you think about it, when, when you think that 11 of those games were in the playoffs in the last five when Cleveland was like breathing. So you want to you wanna play good ball, 500 ball against these teams, or maybe, maybe better if you can. And then gear it up you know, the last two, three weeks of the season go, going into the postseason because they are going to be in the postseason. So I was wondering how you felt about that. I, I got to admit, Mike, that's a, that's a very, I suppose I'll say, mature viewpoint on where things are at with the Sox right now because having essentially having the division locked up with, with multiple months to go in the season, there's a level of comfort that in theory should be able to set in but the urgency that's still there with it is that you want guys to keep getting healthy. So Eloy getting back to the big league level and then coming out here and immediately hurting his groin. That's a concern. And with the amount of time left, and hopefully if the groin is the last issue, him being out in left field didn't necessarily have any, any big moments pro or con out there in left field today. But it's good to see that he's at least healthy enough now after missing a few days and then DHing for a bit and now Eloy being back in the lineup that they feel comfortable enough with where his groin is at, which was day to day for a little while where they're saying, you know what, go out there. We're good with you on the move. You've trimmed down a little bit. You're moving swiftly. Had a really nice game out there when you first came back to the big league club. And they felt good putting him back out there. Not only with the, the notion that this, you know, this more macro approach to, you know, him avoiding injuries in general, but also just the groin was healthy enough where he could go out there and run around and do the job that was necessary. It's kind of odd. It, it wasn't lost on me that really after they made the switch, took him out, put Brian Goodwin in the game. It was Andrew Vaughn who moved from right field to left field. And with Vaughn out there, uh, he had a moment where you still saw probably what I equate to a little bit of inexperience there where he's coming in for the ball, Tim Anderson. You did see on the replay where Anderson looked out in the left field and saw that Vaughn was coming in. Tim still was trying to make the play on the ball. In almost every scenario, it's the outfielder who's tracking from out to in who's the one who's supposed to make the call in that moment. So I'm wondering if Vaughn maybe wasn't as definitive as he could have been, as demonstrative as he should have been to make sure he called Tim off of that one. Because he made a nice sliding grab that was fairly awkward as well. So there's moments like that that all all these other things, getting Andrew Vaughn comfortable at multiple spots because apparently – He's going to be like the poor man's Chris Bryant and just play everywhere for them. And he's handling it as well as I think you can hope for a rookie to handle those things. But when you get Luis Robert back up here, when you get all the depth at catcher back up here and healthy and ready to roll, then all those things, not only having folks healthy, but having them in the positions that you would like and having your, your lineup, having your starters, having your bullpen, having everyone kind of stretched out but also, like in the case of Lance Lynn today in the game, putting them in a position, putting him in a position where maybe he's gotten a bit of rest. Because Stoney talked about it a bit during the broadcast today where we've seen down the stretch of certain seasons where Lance Lynn doesn't just kind of fall apart, but he doesn't look like the same guy down the stretch of seasons like he does earlier in the year. So all those considerations are going to end up being very important for Tony LaRusa because in the end – you want to be in a position where you can take advantage of having such a, a large lead, such a sizable lead in the division where you're comfortable in your postseason future to the point that, that the caller, Mike, was just making a moment ago, but you'd like to be able to take advantage of that with the health of your ball club, with the way that they're playing, and with the limited run support that, that's been given to the starters here lately and the way that, you know, suddenly today that the bullpen that was supposed to be bulletproof with what you just added with Kimbrell, now you got Kopech and Kimbrell who struggled when they were out there today. You don't want to be looking like that, and especially in this series. And like I referenced, there were some moments in the game that to me indicated that Tony La Russa felt like today's game was a pretty big deal as well that I'll be able to address in a little while here. But we also got another caller on the line. It's kind of saving some of the bears for, for hour number two, but – if you're calling and I got the time, I want to give you the line to make some points and chop it up with me as well. Three one two six four four six seven six seven. So Mark is out in Rockford right now. Mark, it's Anthony Hare, man. How you doing? Anthony, thanks for taking my call. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good, man. Uh, 
I just want to say, you know, the Bears get themselves in these predicaments all the time. And I know they got, listen, I'm ecstatic that they got Justin Fields. That was a great move by Ryan Pace. But Ryan Pace has a track record of just, you know, giving up draft picks to draft up to draft up. I understand he had to do this to get Justin Fields. When I'm talking about the other picks he gave up, we've lost so many bodies through picks because of mistakes that he's made. He's drafted up constantly to get players, okay? And this draft that he had to draft up to get Justin Fields was because of the mistake that he made with Mitch Trubisky four years prior. So my my point is is that we're going to be really thin on the offensive line. We're thin in talent in a lot of areas because of the fact that he gives up draft picks. At a, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. I looked at this. I actually did this on paper. I don't have it in front of me, but the amount of draft picks that we that he has given up since he's been a GM is like something like 20-some players. It's incredible. So I just say this. You know, we're in this predicament, and he, he got this offensive player from Oklahoma. Looks like he's going to be a good guy. But if he's got a, I got a history of a bad back. I'm 55 yeah. years old. I've had two surgeries on my L5S1. I played uh, high school football. I was in wrestling. I played baseball. And I had a bad back then, and I'm so bad right now at 55 years of age. Once your back goes bad – it's hard to have. It's hard to play at that level in the NFL with a bad back. You agree? I do. It's it's really difficult. It is really difficult once you do have these initial back issues. And and reportedly, Tevin Jenkins had back problems in college. They have obviously at this point followed him into the National Football League. Doesn't mean that he won't be able to work through, but it certainly does. There's no doubt playing that position on the line of scrimmage where so much of what you do is about the leverage that you can play with as you come out of your stance, the leverage that you can maintain once you're engaged with another lineman after you've made contact with them. And so that that's a very difficult thing. I myself had all kinds of back problems in my L4 and L5. I'm, I'm not near 55 years old yet, uh, Mark, like, like you were, like our caller was when he's talking about it a moment ago. But I certainly, at this point in my life, I've still got – I've got chronic football back in addition to just some of the sort of hereditary back issues that I entered the game with. So I, I feel for Tevin Jenkins. I'm sure the young man wants to be on the field. There's some sound from Tom Thayer, who was on with Mully and Hall yesterday, that we'll play for you in hour number two here, and specific to some observations that Tom's had in the way that Tevin Jenkins is is interacting or in some ways the lack thereof with the interaction that he's having out there on the practice field, how engaged he is, or in some cases is not. And there's no one better to be able to observe that, break it down, and, and um, you know, just sort of deliver the message of how a young offensive lineman in the National Football League, who especially is not on the, on the field at the moment competing, how he can still try to get something out of that. And I thought Tom had some really interesting things to say when he was on with Mullen Hall yesterday that will run some of that back for you. But I do want to take my first time out here and get into some more baseball because the game today was, I got to admit, it was more riveting than I really anticipated the game would be because you have the White Sox who have turned into sort of the juggernaut in the Central Division and the AL, but then you also have what's coming from the Cubs on the north side, their upstart sort of club. They were overnight, you know, they've just kind of turned back into the Iowa Cubs all of a sudden with all the guys who don't have a lot of major league experience, don't have very deep major league resumes, but it's a lot of moments in the game today. Some of them obvious, some of them, in my opinion, not so obvious. So I want to take a few minutes, point a few things out about that. And we're really only a few minutes away from Jared Willis. And we'll get, he was right there. He was at Wrigley today, taking everything in. We'll talk to Jared Willis from the Sun-Times in a few minutes as well. But for now, I'll take my first time out, come back and talk through some of my observations from the game today, from the Sox perspective, from the Cubs perspective, from the managerial perspective, some moments that took place they really stood out to me. We'll do that next here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Like that. Oh, Eloy Jimenez! Do not walk anyone in front of him! Wow! Welcome back! Hi, Mom! See you later, 5-3! That's how it sounded. This what? A little over a week ago. Back on July 27th week and a half ago when Eloy Jimenez first made his way back to the major league level. Took one yard, as they like to say, against Kansas City. 
it was good to see that, and it made a lot of uh, a lot of folks make some assumptions about how easy the transition was going to be for Eloy Jimenez returning to the major league level. Because you saw that, it was dramatic, it was fun, it was necessary in a victory, and he had been disrespected a moment before that by them walking Jose Abreu to get to him. And, uh, you know, Stoney and Benetti, as they tend to do, did a marvelous job laying out what the situation was and how he may feel about it. And then, as tends to be the case with Steve Stone when he's on the air, he, in a way, sort of predicted that this is what may happen, and you almost kind of hear it in the clip there with him talking about Eloy just getting back to where he can put a good swing on it. Yeah, you know, I, Anthony, it's <laughs> it's brilliant because in the longer version of that cut, you hear Steve Stone talk about, well, maybe because he's returning and it's mm-hmm. early in his you know in his return, teams aren't going to respect the bat. They're going to pitch to a guy who's rusty, right? Mm-hmm. Quote unquote rusty. And uh, then he said, "Well, give it time because you're you know pitchers and teams aren't going to do that because he could do some damage." And we right. saw what happened. <laughs> and he took full advantage of that when it took the pitch. What what was it, Mike? About seven? Uh, about yeah, seven, that was uh, seven thousand and fifty feet, something like that. You, you talk about get up off your couch. I know this is gone. Type of you know <laughs> shellacking there. That was that was great. Yes, that is the voice of Mike Rankin on the ones and twos for me this evening while I'm here with you. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll be very curious for your opinion on this, Mike, because with Aloy. So much of the discussion specific to him is dominated by the notion of whether or not he should be allowed to play left field. And in my opinion, and I've said this a few different times here in recent weeks, just even in the ramp up to him returning, once it became apparent, like, oh, he's he's healthy or at least close to healthy a little quicker than than what they initially alluded to. And then it's so many folks are talking about, well, just just bar him from left field. Don't allow him back out there. And I'm of the opinion that you certainly need to try and you need to try and deliver every message that you can about the importance of his health. You need to try and communicate to Eloy Jimenez the the proper techniques, the angles that he needs to take. I mean, even the injury that took place back in spring training, I said it back then as soon as he got hurt. I thought there were even signs from that moment that he had begun improving just with the path he took to the ball with the timing of him leaping towards the fence, with him reaching for the fence as he felt the warning track and knew it was getting close. The silly part for Aloy in that moment was dangling from the wall after the ball went out of it. Didn't make any sense. It was a horrible decision for him to make because he's too important to the team. Then he ruptures his chest, and now he's out for that entire time. But to me, there are enough signs of improvement where I'm I'm comfortable with them finding moments to put Aloy in left field. I don't think he should definitively be the everyday left fielder, but I certainly don't think that he's at a point at 24 years old where you say Aloy is never allowed to do anything but DH here either. I mean, I think that Manny Ramirez put a Hall of Fame caliber career together playing mediocre left field, but it kept him involved. It kept him in the game. It kept his juice and his energy around the ball club, and he certainly got to a point where he could play it well enough where he wasn't, you know, he, he didn't make these cataclysmic mistakes out there at all times. And his bat more than made up during his Red Sox career for some of the gaffes that he did make while he was out there in left field. So I'm not at a point where I think Eloy has proven himself good enough to be an everyday left fielder, but I think between multiple factors, one, he wants to do it, and two, I believe he is legitimately showing signs of improvement at it. I think you just sort of vary him back and forth, get him some days out and left, some days at DH, and overall, it helps the lineup for where you're at right now anyway because as a, as a ball club, you are going to have to continue to piecemeal a few things together until everyone really gets more fully healthy. I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts, Mike, as a my, – my, you are a Sox fan? Am I, yeah, am I I, you know, that? I do a little, little Sox coverage on my own, but mm-hmm. and, and I agree with you a lot in what you're saying. Uh, I think ultimately we're going to see Eloy Jimenez – get to a spot where he has to DH full-time. But like you said, still early on enough in his career where you can mix and match, at least experiment with him in the outfield. We've seen, obviously, the outcome several times. I think a really important thing about this is just Aloy as a player himself. You can't take the competitiveness out of a player. And what I mean by that is a left fielder is trying to make every play possible. And I think there are limitations to Eloy defensively as a left fielder, but he thinks he can make all of the plays <laughs> and it gets into a lot of trouble. And I think the instincts are, are one of the flaws in Eloy's game 
defensively, and I think that's more of a... You know, it's hard to quantify that because it's different. It varies player to player, but I think it's very real and apparent that he struggles with communication, sometimes struggles uh, in the gap, judging a fly ball, doesn't know Mm -hmm. where his teammates are sometimes, especially like the Bermuda Triangle plays where there's a blooper behind short and third and he's coming in full speed. You know, that I always hold my breath. But you're the play right. that Andrew Vaughn made at, at the yes. end of the sixth inning today. That's now, if that were example, a Lloyd yeah. doing that, I think Twitter would have went ablaze. And, you know, it didn't necessarily light up where, where Andrew Vaughn and Tim Anderson almost run into each other, but Vaughn makes the play. They narrowly avoid colliding. If Aloy did the exact same thing, it would have been this grand example of how horrible he is in left field and how he's got no sense for, you know, spatial awareness or anything like that. Things are just awkward sometimes for a young outfielder. And Vaughn's in a different situation, obviously, with all the different spots they're playing him in. But no one is completely immune to the possibility of these near misses. We've just seen them too much from Aloy. Right. And it's, you know, some of it's justified the criticism towards Aloy as a left fielder. But uh, the last thing I'll say about it is the value in him as a left fielder increases the rest of the ball club in terms of you can do a lot more with the lineup and you can play more. You know, you can have Gavin Sheets DH or you can give. Uh, Smiley Grandal a day off when he ultimately Mm -hmm. returns. I mean, there's, you know, the the White Sox are littered with these options. And if you have Aloy stuck at DH, it kind of hurts the rest of the club because, you know, you're playing maybe a defensive first outfielder as opposed to, say, you know, Aloy plus a bat at DH. So, you know, I, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is if you're taking Aloy out from left field, where is the production offensively going to come from? And how much are you losing if you're having him as DH? Now, the point that uh, multiple shows over the last couple of days here have been talking about because Frank Thomas went into great detail, and he used to talk about it a lot even when he was playing, the Big Hurt did, about when he was a DH, he didn't feel as engaged in the game, and he thinks that that ends up being a big issue for Eloy Jimenez when he's a designated hitter because he's just not as consistently engaged in the action. Maybe the attention span wanes, maybe the energy dips, whatever it may be, but He doesn't feel like Eloy hits the ball as well as a DH. And so far, in what's right now still a fairly small sample size, but statistically, that does seem to be the case as well. But as far as just strictly the hitting and where Eloy Jimenez is at right now as a hitter in the lineup and whether or not he's setting himself up, if he's getting ready to do some damage here, I think the last couple of games we've seen a lot of good signs of that. And uh, Steve Stone had what I thought were were some really, really good thoughts, as he tends to have uh, on the NBC Sports Chicago broadcast, specific to Eloy getting acclimated and and how the at-bats are looking and where they may go. What's going to happen with Eloy, and we're going to see it, and you watch the transition. He's going to start staying back on more pitches. Right now he's going after just about everything, leaving him off balance. He doesn't have real good looks at pitches that eventually he's going to hit awfully hard. It's unrealistic to assume that you're going to miss 99 games plus a week of spring training and come back and have any semblance of rhythm whatsoever. And then miss four with the day-to-day groin injury. I mean, he's going to look, he's going to hit mistakes now. But he's such a good hitter when he is ready to go, when he has all of his rhythm back, he's going to hit good pitches as well as the mistakes. We've seen him driving the ball the other way. The last couple of days, and and thanks to NBC Sports Chicago uh, for that sound from Steve Stone. Um, But he's been been driving the ball the other way and even a couple of misses where he's made some contact and and had a couple of outs driving it the other way the last few days here. And that really seems to be a good sign for how he's seeing things, his timing, his rhythm, his balance in the batter's box. So I think that's a, a really good sign for that. And even just in the the list of players that would potentially be rotating through DH, uh, I don't think he even mentioned Mike Jose Abreu. You know, as banged up as he's been at times this season, it'll be good for Jose Abreu to be able to have some opportunities at DH on occasion just for a little bit of a lighter load on him with certain games here as well. One of the moments that I was referencing earlier related to a decision that Tony La Russa made in-game it came in the sixth inning, and it, and it relates to, to Lance Lynn. I was touching on earlier in, in the evening here that Lance Lynn is hes a pitcher. We think of him. He can go 100-plus pitches, no problem. All the innings he eats up and how dependable he is. You can count on him being available. There was an opportunity to take him out when, when the Sox run offense, and there was a chance there that he could maybe, I think it was like bases loaded and two out in, in the top of the sixth, 
and and uh, Zavala didn't get the ball in the air. It was multiple batters before Lance Lynn was coming up, and so Hendricks initially was pitching to Hernandez, and uh, then he just decided, you know what, let me walk Hernandez and and get Lance Lynn up here, and so saw you know Twitter commenting a little bit on whether or not uh, Tony Larusa should have taken Lance Lynn out at that point in the top of the sixth, but he had had five dominant innings at that point. He was still pitching a shutout, and Larusa decided to leave him in. And in that scenario, of course, Lance Lynn doesn't end up driving in a run where he had the had the bases loaded. But he wasn't even at 90 pitches at that point. But whatever, I'll use the term calculus. You know, I don't, I don't know. Tony Larusa does a lot of calculus, but you know, whatever the metrics were in his head at that moment, I'm sure he at least considered whether or not he should take Lynn out of the game. He decided to leave him in, and so you know, he ends up striking out. Doesn't put any runs on the board, but that's not on Lance Lynn at that point. That's on the hitters leading up to him that didn't come through, and specifically Zavala not coming through when there was an opportunity there with multiple runners on base to try and extend the lead. But I took that as a move where Tony LaRusse is saying, let me leave, as opposed to getting to my bullpen earlier in the game here. Let me leave Lance Lynn in this game. We've been losing some close ones lately anyway. Offense hasn't been doing much. Lance Lynn is mowing these guys down. They leave Lynn in this game, get to the bullpen a little bit later because you could have maybe made the case that Lance Lynn could use a little bit of rest because of one of the observations I made earlier about how he tapers off a bit late in the season. But Tony LaRusso made the observation, made the decision that he didn't want to get Lance Lynn out of the game an inning earlier than he really needed to. Lynn came back out in the sixth, mowed him down again, and then he had a fairly quick hook in the seventh I don't think any of us expected Michael Kopech and Craig Kimbrell were, were going to struggle with this uh, this very inexperienced Cubs lineup in the way that they did. For that's it to a polite way to put game. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, they, they were not great, Bob, when they stepped onto the field. So good for the Sox that they came out with the 8-6 win. But I think if, if La Russa knew that, he might have just left Lance Lynn in there in seventh also since he only got to 100 pitches. But I, I didn't take issue with him leaving him in in that moment uh, in the sixth inning to bat, even though it could have meant some runs on the board. Did you have an observation about that moment, Mike? I'm with you. And the thing about it is he got pulled so quickly after allowing, because, you know, I guess the thinking is he's up, his pitch counts up. If he allows a base runner, that's it. But the base runner was a bunt for a hit, you know? I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I thought, especially giving him that at bat, I I was okay with it because of how he was pitching and it obviously makes it difficult in the National League but I didn't like that you know he went out in the seventh through all of this you know I just Mm -hmm. didn't really make sense to me yeah like if you leave him in he mows him down in the sixth why not just pull him in the seventh as opposed to putting him back out there at that point no I I hear you on that I hear you on that and he he looked so good in the sixth I suppose the thought is yeah let's see if he just still you know got his game going to that same extent in the seventh he didn't he got him out of there, what, after one batter, I think, and then Michael Kopech just didn't look, uh, didn't look exactly like the Kopech that we've been seeing so much this season. In the end, they come out with the victory 8-6, to six, but there, there were one of those, that, that was one of those moments that I said that, that indicates to me Tony La Russa views this game with maybe even an enhanced degree of importance because you, you don't want to drop the first one in the Crosstown Series. The Wintrust Crosstown Series against the Cubs, you don't come out here losing to the Cubs after you're coming off a disappointing series against Kansas City. You had to make this happen. They made plays. They ended up getting it done in extra innings against, uh, I don't know, who, whoever that was. Who was it? Manuel. Uh, yeah, Manuel Rodriguez. Whoever that is. The name I hadn't heard before two hours ago when, uh, when the Cubs uh, gave up a bunch of runs here. So let's get to our timeout, and uh, let's continue this baseball discussion Gonna have Jared Willis from the Sun Times join me next year. We'll, we'll talk about everything he saw because he was out there at Wrigley Field himself today. What was the atmosphere like? What were the decisions like? How was the crowd divided? Sox versus Cubs. His impressions of everything he saw today will be next on the score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. Davies hits a fly ball left center field on the run as Angle makes the catch. And the White Sox win the ball game. In 10 innings, a wild one. White Sox 8, Cubs 6. Ah, nobody likes it when Pat Hughes sounds disappointed. Probably going to happen a few more times before the end of this season, though, with that roster that the Cubs put together. 
but it was a fun and entertaining and in a lot of ways dramatic game at Wrigley Field today. Just the first one of this three-game set, the Wintrust Crosstown Series. The man who was out there in person today, Cubs writer for the Chicago Sun-Times on Twitter, at Jay Willis. He is Jared Willis with me now on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Jared, how's it going, man? Have you made it home yet? I'm still working on that. Uh, I'm still recovering from that wild one at Wrigley today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a lot of a lot a lot of twists and turns. It's kind of like a theme park roller coaster out there today. I thought that there's a great chance the game would be competitive, but I think it was more more dramatic than I anticipated just because I didn't really know a lot of the Cubs players had some drama in them and and they made plays late in the game. Do you get the sense that 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 maybe specific to today or to this weekend? Or is there something just in the evaluation of guys like Frank Schwindel and the like that, you know what, maybe there's, a, maybe there's a few moments in here that could mean they could be a part of something the Cubs will be rebuilding? Well, I think there definitely are some guys who are on the roster now who probably are long-term pieces. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of what we saw today was just you know, it's a product of um, it's this the crosstown game. These guys feel the energy. They, you know, there's a lot of them talked about looking in the crowd and seeing, you know, fans from both teams, and it, it does affect them. Um, I think their adrenaline is up a little bit more, and that's why you see kind of some of some of what happened this afternoon. Um, but and and some of it too is just. You know, baseball's a weird sport, and sometimes Andrew Romine hits a three-run homer off of Craig Kimbrell, who's been untouchable all season, and that's just that's just what happens and how it goes, you know, on, on any given day. And there's a couple of things I'm curious about just with the atmosphere in the stadium, and since you mentioned Craig Kimbrell, that's one of those things. How, how was he – because it's not like he was a part of the World Series core, so Cubs fans aren't necessarily as emotionally invested in Craig Kimbrell as they are – in Rizzo and Baez and Bryant, but seeing Kimbrell out there in a Sox uniform and frankly getting touched up, how, how did Cubs fans react to Kimbrell? Well, there, it was uh, it was pretty loud when he came out on the mound, and I think it was a mixture of you know Sox fans happy to see him coming out there, and then all, but also like Cubs fans who were just showing their appreciation. This was their chance to you know thank him for having such a phenomenal first half of the season because when he left, they didn't really get the, there wasn't quite the same chance um, for, for him to say a goodbye for him to, you know, thank the fans and vice versa. Maybe not the same as, as Rizzo and Bryant and Baez. Cause like you said, they were a part of that core. It was just different with them. Um, but yeah, there was a lot, there was high energy when he came on the mound because there was anticipation too. when fans knew, you know, he's coming out in the, the eighth inning. You know, we're going to see Kimbrell on the mound at Wrigley uh, in the Sox uniform. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was one of those big moments. And I think that also contributed to when Romine does hit that home run. You know, and then the crowd is, is equally reacting to this shift in the course of the game, but also the fact that it was Kimbrell who, who gave up that homer. And Kyle Hendricks still hasn't lost a start in his last 16 starts at this point. And he's just been magnificent for the most part. It, it does make me think through the context of, of a lot of the pieces that they did move before the break. And it's not like his name didn't come up at all. What's your impression of why Kyle Hendricks is still with the Chicago Cubs? Well, I think he's there because they do, they obviously, they do see him as somebody who, when the next winning team comes along, they see him as a part of that rotation. Um, you know, they, they extended him, I think, knowing that at this trade deadline, they were going to make some of these moves that they made. But we're keeping him around because I, I think not only do they see him as a part of their future, but also, at least in the front office, I don't think that they're anticipating some long rebuild. I don't think that's the plan. Um, whether or not that's actually how things work out, of course, is another story, but they're Jed Hoyer, when he talked a few weeks ago, he, he kept likening what he was going to try to do to, you know, what the Red Sox have accomplished over the last, you know, 15 years or so, where they maybe take a down year, but then they're right back into it. Or even what the Yankees did a few years ago, 
when they traded for all this Chapman to the Cubs, but then turned around and were back in the postseason the very next year. Um, that's the blueprint I think that Hoyer wants to be on. And so for that reason, they're, they, they've got reason to keep Hendricks around because they see him as useful for the next winning team. Jared Willis with me here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. You can find him on Twitter at Jay Willis. And the, uh, with the Willis, just put a Y where the I's usually go in that last name, Willis. And, Jared, the, the new names that were out there and especially the ones that were making plays late, it's a blend of some of them being young, some of them a little longer in the tooth and been around the block a little bit at the major league level. I'm curious for a player like, a, like an Andrew Romine, is there, is there a role – to be carved out anywhere around this for a guy who hit his 11th home run in an 11-year major league career, does it really mean anything for him specifically as far as just making making this play with the Cubs and, and the potential for having a future here? Or is that is that not where things are going because he's just he and, you know, Chirinos? There's some certain guys who are just sort of too old to necessarily consider a part of the potential future. Yeah, I think some of these guys, and Romine is one of them, they're, they're placeholders. Um, so I think realistically, the future of the, the Cubs' middle infield is Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal. Those are the two guys we're going to see at second and shortstop in the years to come. And so because Madrigal is, isn't going to be back from his hamstring injury until 2022, that's why Romine's getting innings right now. But yeah, he's you look at a guy like that, that's a placeholder right there. Um, Torinos is probably the same way. Like you said, he's just, he, he's, he's older. You know, he's been around for a long time. And the Cubs do have catchers in their system with potential um, to make an impact in, in the near future. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about a guy like Miguel Amaya, who, you know, could come up and he and Wilson Contreras could be the catching tandem um, within the next couple of years. So, yeah, it's, it's cool when somebody like Romine uh, steps up and gives a big moment like he did today, but um, I, I really don't see him around beyond, beyond this season. And then on the opposing side of that point, you get a, a guy like Cody Hoyer come out there and as, as poorly as Craig Kimbrell handled facing his old team, Hoyer looked really good <laughs> in that ninth yeah. inning and didn't look yeah. like a, there was anything concerning him. So it had to be exciting from a Cubs perspective to see where that live arm that Sox fans have been watching, that it can do some quality things for the Cubs. Yeah, and, and to see him do it in a high leverage inning because here it's now it's the ninth inning of a tie game where your, your new team has a chance to, you know, get a come-from-behind win. Um so for the Cubs, that, that I think was a real look at like, hey, here's the future of maybe the back end of your bullpen. Um, when, you know, about a week ago when he was activated on the Cubs roster, uh, Liam Hendricks actually sang his praises a little bit. And Hendricks said, you know, hey, it wouldn't surprise me if he's closing games for the Cubs within the next couple of weeks. And then sure enough, you know, it wasn't a, a safe situation, but here, here's Hoyer in the ninth inning. So, yeah, for Cubs fans, that's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, and although he, he's looked a little shaky, uh, Manny Rodriguez has, has some serious weapons. Hmm. You know, he's got to work some things out, but um, a guy that throws as hard as he does, um, that's another one to keep an eye on as far as like eighth, ninth inning stuff because he's got some serious potential. Well, I'm sure, I'm assuming Cubs fans like hearing that because what was seen today didn't necessarily indicate that. You know, it was almost like the Sox batters right. were salivating seeing uh, Manny Rodriguez on the mound. So, you know, whatever stuff is there, I'm sure he'll get more and more opportunities to try and showcase it as these games won't necessarily be high leverage as games, even though moments within them will be. So it'll still be a proving ground for players like Rodriguez. Let's go global here for, for a moment. I'm wondering what the announcement of the, the sports book that could be on the way here, what that means in relation to, um, you know, I'll, I'll just use the term rebuild, even though Jed Hoyer doesn't want that to be used and what's about to happen. But how does the sports book affect whether or not they're going to immediately be comfortable spending money again? I think it could, you know, an optimistic take on this is that this could point them toward being, you know, being buyers, even in the off season. Um, 
they've, you know, they, they anticipated because of the, the marquee sports network and some of these other things that they were going to have a lot more cash flow um, than they have over the last year or so. And that's a part of why they're in the position that they're in now. And so when you look at something like this, you know, the, the first thought is this could be a way for them to recoup some of that and put them in a better position where they can, whether it's you know, re-signing, bringing back some of the guys they traded away um, and locking them down to long-term extensions or looking elsewhere in free agency and looking at how they can supplement this team um, in other ways, you know, because there, there are going to be other guys available come winter or even next July. And I think that that's, that's the hope with something like this, that the Cubs can financially, they're going to be in a good situation where they've got the room where they can do that. Cause already they're so, they're so far under the luxury tax that they're going to be in a good spot to spend um, in the near future. If that's what they choose to do. And as much as we've seen Tom Ricketts and Jed Hoyer, and they've been out here very publicly saying that this isn't going to take too long. We're going to get back to spending that money. And I mean, even Rossi has been on this station talking about it. It seems like folks still have some trepidation about whether or not it will happen. So we know you will monitor it very closely, Jared. We'll read all your writings about it in the Sun-Times, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. That's Jared Willis. Cubs writer for the Chicago Sun-Times on Twitter, at Jay Willis. As I promised earlier in the show, got some football on the way here in hour number two. We'll see if we get a little hoops in later on. But Kevin Fishbane of The Athletic coming up next. I'm going to head out to Bears camp tomorrow morning. I don't know if Kevin's taking the morning off. If he's going to be out there every single day because this is his time of year, just like I was talking about it being my time of year. Talk about that and a whole lot of other stuff going on with the guys out at Hallis Hall. We'll do that next on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.